Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Runes of Empire. While we are proud to report that our audience appears to grow week by week, we have noticed very few comments on podcasting sites like iTunes or Stitcher. Now, my huge writerly ego is above such trivial concerns, but I have reason to suspect that producer Sean is feeling a little bit unloved. I notice him sometimes writing morose poetry when we are recording, and his working copy of the book has several more tear stains on it than it did when I first gave it to him. So if you could, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. It helps increase the visibility of this little project, and it might just give producer Sean that little boost he needs to get through another recording session, and will make sure your enjoyment of the story is not ruined by the sound of him softly crying in the background. And as always, thank you for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, book two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 5 Diana Adriana for President was allegedly started as a joke leading up to the Brazilian elections in 2083. If it was, nobody told the Brazilian people. While hidden away deep in a private prison in the United States, Diana Adriana won the presidency in a landslide. From The Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. The worst part about hibernation was waking up. Vega was still hazy and unfocused from the Triple T withdrawal, but now it was like his body was a few seconds behind his mind. His mouth tasted dry and rancid like meat laid out in the sun for days. It was impossible to tell how long he'd been asleep. He had a thin beard now, but the memory of his fight with Althea was fresh enough to recite the highlights from memory. Vega touched a holographic icon floating over his face to release the door of the hibernation pod and slid out. The air in the ship smelled stale, with a rank locker room odor mixed in. He also noticed the sound on the edge of hearing, something light and ethereal. The green lights over the pods indicated that Kronos, Althea, and Isra were still in the middle of the reanimation process, still asleep. He had a few minutes of peace before they woke up. A few minutes before she woke up, he thought, casting a particular glance at Althea, still sleeping in her pod. He got dressed and left, making his way through the ship to the bridge toward the sound. It was orchestral music featuring strings and high woodwinds. Vago felt a sort of terminal sweetness as he listened to it. It was music he would hear on the day he died, and it would say, That's all there was. Most of it wasn't so bad. He followed the music to the bridge where Captain Colton was busy with the ship's controls. The brown-orange atmosphere of Venus loomed large in the window overhead, and the reflected light cast long shadows in the control area. At first, Colton didn't notice Vago standing in the door. He continued making small orbital corrections and moving his head to the music in a way that made Vago think of a snake charmer. Colton stopped. You're up early, aren't you? You've got good hearing, Vago said, pulling himself onto the bridge. You didn't make a noise, friend. Not that I could hear. No, I knew you were there because... Well, no offense, friend. 
but you haven't showered in three months. Vago sniffed under his arm and recoiled. I take your point. Mind if I join you? Sure, why not? The air isn't getting any better anyway. Vago floated over, settled into the co-pilot seat, and strapped himself in. So what you listening to? Venus. Venus? Yeah, friend. An ancient symphony from the 18th century. Before the fall. Way before. Maybe before the rise. If there ever was a rise. Who knows? I see, said Vago. Little on the nose, don't you think? The captain twisted a dial and the spacecraft rolled until the planet was at the bottom of the window. The composer didn't write the symphony for the planet, friend, Colvin said. He was inspired by the astrological aspect of Venus. You mean the symbol of love, Vago grumbled bitterly. No, that's the goddess. The star was the bringer of peace, friend. Those two aren't always the same. You and that redhead already proved that. Who says we're in love? Colton laughed. Oh, friend, folk who hate each other don't fight like that. What I saw there was vicious foreplay. Vago leaned back. I thought there might be something, but now I'm not sure. It all started when she asked me to move out to Orchester. What, move in with her? Nah, just nearby. So she could keep an eye on me. See, I get a little drug problem. What kind of drug problem? Logistical. Logistical? Yep, can't get any drugs. I see, said Colton. So what happened, friend? Did you slip up? Nah, she did. She's got a drug problem, too. Nah, something different. What does she do? Me. Lucky you. You'd think, said Vago. Trouble is, she tends to hate herself whenever she's with me, and the only time I don't feel like a walking corpse is when I'm with her. Ah said Colton with a knowing tone. Triple T? Yeah, how'd you know? Colton looked over and smiled. Three years sober next week, friend. Vago was about to say something when Isra's perpetually annoyed voice echoed through the bridge. Vago, what the hell are you doing up here? Vago peeked around the back of the seat. Isra hung in the doorway, floating in the air with her body rigid. She'd be standing at attention if one could stand in zero gravity. Vago turned back to the window, with the swirling clouds getting ever closer. Just having a little talk with our captain. Captain, how long until we hit atmosphere? Isra asked through clenched teeth. Colton silenced the music and examined his instruments. I've been degrading our orbit for the last hour, ma'am. If everyone's strapped in, we can have air around us in 30 minutes. We are ready, said Isra. Then she pointed at Vago. You... Get your ass strapped into the passenger cabin with the rest of us. It's okay, Mr. Cario. I don't mind the company, said the captain. Isra acted for a moment as if she might argue. Then she slowly rotated her body and disappeared into the corridor. Thank you, Vago sighed. It was going to get awkward back there. Friend, it's about to get awkward down there, Colton indicated the clouds growing larger and more defined by the moment. I can deal with down there. It's big enough to run away if I need to. Vega watched as Venus grew bigger until it filled the window, and he could see individual jets of clouds weaving their way across the atmosphere. In a few places, he saw dark specks where mountain peaks poked up from the surface. Three years, Vega said. How'd you do it? Colton pushed some buttons and took hold of a flight yoke that rose from the panel. You're not going to feel like yourself, friend. 
not until you get your brain chemistry right again. That means you got to do something that excites you. I did. She just don't want nothing to do with me. You can't use another human as a substitute for the tea, friend. Dropping it is all about freedom, and you can't be free if you force your dependency on another. Everyone says you'll be happy when you quit Triple T, friend. But the truth is, you can't quit unless you're happy. Vago thought back to the hollow vids hanging on the wall of that depressing basement where they held the meetings. Smiling families, couples holding hands, the perfect life. According to them, anyway. So what do I do? Vago asked. There was probably a time in your life you were free to do as you pleased. As free as any person could be in this universe. When you had the most choice, what did you do? If I ever had that kind of freedom, it's been far too long ago to remember. You will, friend. The rest will follow. What did you do? When I was a kid, I used to race jet skimmers. Nothing but flame, speed, and fiery death. The ship started to shake as it hit the upper atmosphere. Problem is that only lasts a few seconds. Fifteen if you're lucky enough to find a long track. Not nearly enough. But I found a way to keep that feeling going for minutes at a time. And it's coming up right now. The ship lurched forward and the tip of the nose started to glow a dull red. Trying to hold 85 tons of metal and ceramic together while the air itself tries to tear it apart. Watching the flames from the heat shields and listening to the roar of fire on metal. Re-entry keeps you off Triple T. Vigo's voice modulated as a shaking intensified. Colton's face cracked into an insane grin. Better than sex, friend. The captain of the guard stood at the gates of Cytheria City and watched the fireball streak across the sky. Soon, flame gave way to smoke, until finally a small craft circled high above the mountain peaks that ascended from the city. He could sense the apprehension of the soldiers standing around him, and he shared this feeling with them. Even the most disciplined of his soldiers shifted as they watched the craft circle. It was in the way they gripped their spears close to their body. It was even in the scorching wind that blew up from the wastelands further down the hill. He would never question one so wise as Arenha Isabel, but he didn't understand. Yes, that was probably safe. He didn't understand why she would invite these people to Cytheria. Venus provided everything they needed. Food, water, protection. What could these people from Earth bring except chaos? The only one at ease among them was Arenha Isabel's emissary. The woman stood in front of the soldiers watching the visitors fly over the city and begin to land further down the hill. Her expression was one of supreme self-confidence. The captain hated her for that. She was one of many at court who confused fearlessness with bravery. Soldiers who are afraid still fight because they are brave. Soldiers who are fearless die quickly for stupid reasons. Several hundred meters down the hill, the ship had slowed its horizontal motion and started its vertical landing. Seething hot winds carried the dirt and dust that the craft's engines kicked up and... As it got close to the ground, he lost sight of the craft completely within the dust storm it created. He and the emissary exchanged glances. It was time. The captain of the guard raised his hand. Garda! Avansar! In flawless formation and perfectly in step, the soldiers marched down the hill. (laughs) 
Vega looked out the small window in the cargo bay door, pulled a full clip from his belt, and rammed it into place in one of his two matching handguns. They were possibly modeled after the ancient Remington M1911 pistol, although Vega believed they were actual relics from before the fall. They probably had every part replaced at one time or another, but that was irrelevant. They were the same guns. It's tough to have a grandfather's axe debate at gunpoint. Whether rebuilt or made from scratch, each gun bore the engraving, Ulfbert, in the handle, from the Martian gunsmith who built them. You got down fast, Easter commented, walking down the stairs to the bay with Althea and Kronos close behind her. Vigo peered down the side of his guns. I thought the captain should be alone with his re-entry shields. It was getting uncomfortable. And what do you think you're going to do with those? Althea asked, watching as he pulled the slide back. Vigo looked out the window again. The local soldier has come out to welcome us. He put the gun in a shoulder holster. Hang back here till I give the all clear. The Arenha of Cytheria has guaranteed our safety while in her city. Isra was watching him load his second gun. That might mean something if we were in the city or if we knew the soldiers were hers. It might. Vigo emphasized the might by holstering the second gun. I should hope you won't be needing those, said Althea, or much of anything. The external sensors confirmed what our orbital scans picked up about this area. The gravity is almost identical to Earth's. The atmosphere is a little rich in carbon dioxide, but nothing unbearable. The temperature is comparable to a hot summer day. Isra was right. This is likely the most Earth-like place in the solar system. Vigo glanced back out the window. Yeah, don't look to be doing them any harm. Althea opened a couple of equipment compartments in the wall. I think I'd still like us to wear medical regulators. I'd like to see the physiological impacts of the planet, and also the Eros computer, so we can stay in contact with the shuttle and each other. Do that then, said Vago, pulling the release on the cargo bay door. I'm going to step out for a moment. And what exactly are you going to do? Isra asked, eyebrow raised. I'm going to be a diplomatic nosh, said Vago. Then he opened the cargo bay door and stepped outside. There were twenty soldiers lined up, ten across, and two deep. Each wore a long white tunic that hung down around their knees, over which they wore a bronze breastplate and a crimson cloak. They watched Vago behind bronze helmets, and their hands tightened around steel-tipped spears every time he took a step. Every soldier carried a short-bladed sword strapped around their waist with a leather belt. Every detail was in perfect order. Not a cloak or sword was missing or out of place. Bronze pieces gleamed with the brilliance that forced Vago to squint when he reached the end of the ramp. This wasn't a militia force held together with bailing wire, sharpened sticks, and a catchy slogan. This was a well-trained, well-organized machine that was designed to kill anything that stood between them and their objective. There was one in particular giving Vago the evil eye. His helmet had a larger red crest than the others, and he stood out ahead of the rest of the formation, which suggested a ranking officer. Vago stopped at the edge of the ramp, and the two men locked eyes. No words passed between them, but Vago heard a warning nonetheless. The tense moment was broken when a woman walked forward, clapping her hands in the air, yelling, Bemvino! Bemvindo! Bemvindo! The woman, Vago couldn't help notice, was beautiful. She wore a light white linen dress that flowed in the warm breeze and a red cloak that trailed behind her. The way the wind pressed the fabric against her showed a body that was strong, fit, and extremely... It was nice, Vago thought as he sucked in a breath of air. She had soft, delicate features and fair hair tied up in a bun. 
And yet, there was something as hard as diamond about her. The woman stopped a couple meters away, and Vago bowed his head slightly, repeating the greeting. Bambino. You are welcome to City Cytheria. You are Issa Jacario. The woman spoke in heavily accented English. Nam Vago Spade. You are with Arena Isabel? Celia Maximiliano, said the woman, pressing her hand against her chest and bowing her head. Amasario a la Reina Isabel. And these men? Personal guard. Here for the same reason you are, I think. Please, may I speak with Isa Jacario? One moment. Vigo walked back up the ramp to the cargo bay door. Well, said Isra. Looks legit. Probably a good idea to arm ourselves. Maybe grab us some body armor, which you're not going to do because you're already out the door, said Vago, watching Isra walk down the ramp. He looked at Althea and Kronos and gestured to the open door. Well, go ahead. It's a party. Go mingle. Please put on the regulator before you come out. Please. Althea touched his arm as she went by. No part of her tone suggested it was a request. Althea's medical regulators were a breakthrough. It was a whole body of invasive medical tests in one complete package. Many an overprotective woman has struggled with the inability to be everywhere at once. Althea was the only one smart enough to figure a way around that. Vago took off his jacket and shirt, pulled a regulator from the rack, and slid it over his left shoulder. As soon as it was in position, he felt pieces extend across his chest and to the small of his back, and he winced as it pinched, pulled, and rubbed against his skin. Once it was settled, he grabbed an Eros computer and slid it over his right forearm. He tapped the screen built into the inner side and heard a computerized woman's voice. Hello, Vago. Welcome back to the Body Mod Consortium Version 8 Environmental Reorientation and Operations Suit. Your heart rate is normal. Blood pressure, normal. Endorphin level is at 58% below normal. Thank you and be safe. Vago swore under his breath. Althea programmed that last bit for him. The effects of the haze were bad enough without Althea looking over his shoulder by a machine she planted there herself. But there wasn't much point in arguing. It would mean another fight, and he'd end up wearing it anyway. He put his shirt and khaki jacket back on and went outside. Vago noticed that the mood was more relaxed now as he walked down the ramp. Isra spoke to the Cytherian representative in her language. Isra e Althea. Isu e Kronos, vos consejo vego, eu sinto mitu. She introduced Althea and Kronos and then apologized for Vago and... How did he know that? The words that Isra and the emissary traded back and forth were not ones that Vago recognized, but somehow he knew what they meant. They weren't saying anything terribly interesting, just the pleasantries of diplomacy. Something along the lines of, our people look forward to the peaceful exchange of goods and ideas and love and probably horses as well. Our people want so very much to nestle within the bosom of your people and furiously motorboat, or whatever counted for diplomacy these days. As Easter and the emissary talked, Vago's attention was drawn back to the high-ranking military man. He kept watching Vago, and the way he did made it clear that he wasn't going to stop, not until one of them was dead, and judging by the soldier's glare, he had a preference as to whom it would be. Isra and Celia finished their conversation, and the emissary stepped back. She opened her arms, and in English exclaimed, Welcome, friends, to City Cytheria. Vago glanced back at the high-ranking soldier. He didn't feel particularly welcome. 
You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire. Templum Veneris, the second book of the Ruins of Empire project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks. Independent new media produced in Idaho.